0: All right. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Let that be said again. Um, It is good to be together uh, this morning. You know, Happy Mother's Day. That's a uh, gesture of appreciation for the sacrificial work that moms have done and are doing. And we are thankful. So we want to extend that gesture for sure. Um, you know, some some carry uh, an emptiness on Mother's Day. May you be seen today, also, and encouraged um, this day as well. But happy Mother's Day to you, moms. Um, we're in a sermon series Ephesians one through three, glorious grace. So grab a Bible, get to Ephesians. We're in chapter two, verse nineteen uh, through twenty-two this morning. So last week. Uh, we, we looked at verse 11 through 18. And if you were here, you'll recall that the title of the sermon was laying down hostility and picking up peace. And the passage was very much about that, you know, and our world is very much like that. There's hostility. And what a great truth we saw last week in verses 11 through 18, that through Christ, you know, we can lay down hostility. We can pick up peace. And, and what that passage spelled out for us is this, just don't forget, that there is hostility between men and women and their God. That we are sinners, we're sinful, we're rebellious, and God is holy and perfect. And there's hostility, but the blood of Christ has, as Ephesians 2 says, killed that hostility. So that's great news, and it's even greater that the hostility that exists between people, between groups of people, has also been killed by the blood of Christ. And that's the good news of Ephesians chapter 2. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, that is all true. And so you might, at the end of last week, I mean, there was a lot of application, but you might say something like, so what? So what? In fact, why don't you just say that? Just say, so what? So what? Just say it. Just participate. Just take it. It's your turn. Just say, so what? Because this is a great setup to verse 19. Just say, "So so what? Yeah, here you go. Verse 19. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lord, we bow before you in prayer and we thank you for this day. Thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for moms. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning that we have the privilege and opportunity to not just gather, to not just sing truth, to exalt Christ, but to open the Bible, to hear from your word that is living and active, that convicts and that builds up and that breathes life into our hearts. So be with us as we study this truth. Lord, may the seed land on good soil in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title is At Home in God's House. At Home in God's House. If you're following along with an outline, which I'd encourage you to do, um, you can access that in the online worship guide with the QR code, or you can use the insert you were handed when you came in. But the first point is from verse 19, and it's that we're no longer excluded. That we're no longer excluded. That's so what? What? And then the second point is just sort of talking about what that now looks like and it's just saying that we are at home in God's house as citizens in his kingdom as members in his household and as living stones in his temple that he's building. So that's the full outline if you're following along but let's look at this first point and that point is that we are no longer excluded no longer excluded. Coming from verse 19. And so uh, look with me at verse 19, the first part there. It says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's the so what? Some translations say consequently. It's like In light of all of that, in light of the blood of Christ reconciling you, if your faith is in Christ, with God, and in reconciling you with your fellow man or woman in Christ, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now, you know this. There is a form of exclusion where you are locked out of a place, right? That's exclusion. But there are also forms of exclusion where you're very much allowed in, yet you still even though you're in, feel excluded. You feel not part of things. Have you ever felt that before? Maybe at school. Maybe at work. Maybe with your own family or with friends. Dare I even say, maybe among Christians. Maybe even at church or even... Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. In fellowship group. Have you ever felt excluded? Not really part of it. Possible, right? I was invited uh, in high school to a very formal occasion in my hometown in Florida called the Bell Ball. And uh, I was definitely the person who invited me. I was their plan B, okay? And I knew and understood that, but what I didn't know and understand is how that would go. I rented a tux, I had absolutely no say in anything the entire night. I do have pictures to prove uh, that I rented the tux and that I went to the bell ball. I'm actually still uh, Facebook friends with the person who invited me to the bell ball, uh, mainly just so, like I keep it going, just so that they can see how great things are going for me. All right? <laughs> That's important to me, um, that they be able to occasionally peer in and see that, you know, your lost, not mine. But, you know, I, uh, I did not sit by my date in the car. I still, I mean, it's like, I was feeling it yesterday. I was thinking about it, preparing my sermon. All the feelings came back. I remember climbing into the back seat of a two-door car in a tux. And, you know, uh, my date did not sit by me at the restaurant, did not speak to me at the restaurant, did not dance with me at the dance changed dresses multiple times with friends just for fun. I take it because they were bored at the dance, dropped me off, and went to the after parties without me. That's the bell ball. (laughs) So I guess I share that just so you all can see how good I'm really doing. Um, (laughs) But but I share it because to me, it's just a great example of how you can be invited to the dance. Like, and you can be not part of things at all. You can be in the house but not feel at home. You can be excluded. But the gospel truth for Christians is, and it's here in verse 19, that we are profoundly, if we are in Christ, no longer excluded. That's the truth. Look at verse 19. It says, you are no longer strangers. Do you see it there? That is a term That refers to our political outsider ness, our political exclusion. This is a word that is referring to kind of the opposite of being a citizen, which he will talk about soon. It says in Acts 17 that there were Athenians at Mars Hill and there were foreigners who lived there. The word for foreigners is the same word for strangers here it's people who live there, but they're not really seen, they're strangers. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer excluded in these ways if you're in Christ. It says you're no longer aliens. This is a term that refers here to being relationally excluded. So we have politically excluded, now relationally excluded. In The Bible, God's people are a spiritual and very real family. And to be an alien is to be not a member of that family, to be relationally excluded, to be not in the inner circle, to not have the support network of that family. The message here, the key to understand here, is that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is to you. This letter to Ephesians is written to you. And what it's saying to you is that you are the banner over your life and even over your life at those moments when you feel excluded. The banner over your life is no longer strangers and aliens. How? Because Jesus was forsaken for us that you might be accepted and included with God. Jesus declares, he cries out from the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went outside of the city. He went up to Calvary, and he died on a cross so that we might enter into the Holy of Holies, so that the curtain might be torn, so that we might have access to the presence of God, a personal, not a long distance relationship. So the banner over our lives in the gospel is no longer excluded. Now, I know that this truth hits us in two ways. Everyone here, it hits us in one of these two ways. The first way is it hits you and you think about it. And the truth is you actually still are a stranger and an alien to God and maybe to Christians. and You feel that because it's true. You feel that because you look around and see people have something you don't, and you're not yet a follower of Christ. Sometimes people leave the church and they tell me, I just don't fit there. I think, I don't say it, but I think, I'm not sure you fit in any church. I'm not sure you're a believer key entry point into the Christian faith is to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and have him come into your life and heart and begin rearranging and transforming you. to Be a real Christian. So this hits us in this way because maybe for someone here, you still are a stranger and alien, but you are invited by Jesus. Have that be no longer true of you, that the banner over your life might be no longer stranger and alien, but child, citizen, member, living stone, as we'll see this morning. The second way this hits us is that, you know, as as you hear this, you think, yeah, you know, yeah, I know that we're no longer strangers and aliens, but I just know it in my head. And sometimes in my heart, I still feel very much excluded. What do you do with that? One thing is make sure that you're walking in the light to experience the fellowship in the light. Sometimes something that hinders us from experiencing the fellowship that God wants for us is hidden sin in our lives. Another thing is to put down roots in a local church and fellowship with other believers to really commit. I often tell people you will not experience community in the church the way you're wanting to. Until two things happen. Number one, until you are dead honest with people. And until you need people. That's when authentic community really begins to start happening. And, and so putting down roots is a key part of experiencing this no longer strangers, no longer a visitor, no longer excluded that God wants for us. Another thing is just remember that we're not in heaven yet. That there's an aspect to the fellowship that Christ has purchased for us by His blood that's perfect. It's amazing that we will not fully experience until heaven. So, in your loneliness, walk with Jesus. He will never leave you or forsake you. So, the rest of this passage, I mean, this just this first part of verse 19 is so good. Amen. The rest of this passage, Paul is going to unpack for the Ephesian Christians now how they are really at home in God's house, how included they are because of what Christ has done for them. And he's going to unpack it with three metaphors for the people of God of which they very much are now part, okay? The first metaphor is citizens in God's kingdom. We are at home in God's house as citizens in God's kingdom. Look at more of verse 19. He says, But you are fellow citizens with the saints. Because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for you, you have gone from a stranger, a politically excluded person, to a spiritual birth certificate possessing citizen in God's unshakable kingdom. Paul does not use the word kingdom in this verse, but it's what he's getting at with the backdrop of the Roman Empire and all the privileges of citizenship in the minds of the Ephesians. For sure, he is saying, you are citizens in the kingdom of God. I was able to attend a festival in downtown Raleigh, the International Festival. One of the activities at the Raleigh International Festival is a real live citizenship ceremony. You can observe it like you just walk by. It's just happening. There's chairs, uh, folded chairs put out and a little microphone, and they're having a citizenship ceremony. And in this ceremony, people are taking the final step to become U.S. citizens. Every day, 2,000 people at least take this step. It's a citizenship Ceremony. And these newbie citizens, if you were to go to this ceremony and just watch and observe, these new people are reciting an oath of allegiance. They're committing their exclusive allegiance as relates to being part of a country, right, to the USA. And they're renouncing all other previous citizenships and allegiances. It's all in the vows. Attendees are usually given a new citizen packet. Which includes literature regarding citizenship, <laughs> which includes a listing of their rights and responsibilities, and which includes a U.S. Constitution, and which includes a miniature, little, what do you think? American flag. All right? Here's the thing. according to the Bible, according to God's word, it does not matter where you are from, or how you got to Jesus, your pedigree your previous allegiances, so long as they are severed. It does not matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, Roman, a Greek, Islam, Buddhist, atheist, rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, man, woman, if you have renounced all other allegiances to which you bow, to which you trust, and you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then according to God's word, you are a fellow and you are a full citizen in God's kingdom. We are at home in God's house as kingdom citizens. Number two, as members in God's household. As members in God's household. This point's very good, just get ready. And members of the household of God. Where membership is in the Bible. Someone say amen. I'm just messing with you. That's like, you wouldn't prove church membership from this verse. Okay. But listen, and members of the household, of God, this takes things a step further, right? First, it's addressing the way you're excluded politically. Now it's addressing the way you're excluded relationally. It's saying it's It's saying it's not just that you can now vote. It's that you can come over for dinner in your pajamas. You're part of the family. You're home in God's house. You have the support network of the people of God, of the father of the family. Now, I think this is really key that we think and reflect and apply this. One of the tendencies that I see in church is that we get real excited about the fact that we're all included together organizationally, but we don't go to the level of being family. We like diversity. We think it's important. But do our dinner tables reflect? Race, age, and class diversity. Do the favorites on our, saved on our phones or the last 20 calls we made reflect any kingdom diversity? Race, age, class. Why do I say that? Not to make anyone feel guilty, but only to say, and again, again, not to make us feel guilty. In fact, it is so critical that we have deep and encouraging friendships as Christians. And we should never feel bad about those. If people are very much alike with us, that's fine. But it's necessary that we see how much it brings such great glory to God when the world looks in the church's window and sees a diverse people gathered not around worldly affinities, but around the cross of Jesus Christ. The world asks, what's bringing them together? And the only reasonable explanation is the grace of God. Not only is it good for the world, it's good for us. It grows us when we are comfortable being uncomfortable for the glory of God. It grows us. It stretches us. If we are just living out our Christian life in a sort of, you know, Funny mirror exhibit at the fair where everywhere you look, it's just people like you. We're not growing. We're becoming spiritual midgets for Jesus in that situation. So this is good to go from, yeah, we're unified. We're in the same organization. We're included together to we're family. It's deeper than the church postcard. It's the dinner table. So Paul then continues in this household metaphor. We're members in God's household. He develops it out like a general contractor building a house. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Do you see that? So the apostles and prophets are a foundation to what God is building. This is capital A, Apostles, and capital P, Prophets. It's not like your friend that has a license plate that says prophet on it, okay? That's not what this is. This is the initial apostles and prophets in the early church, the key leaders that God used to write scripture and establish the church of Jesus Christ. They had roles that are irrepeatable, they're foundational, and it's then, not now. This is the apostles and prophets. In fact, their role was so tied to writing scripture and establishing a reliable testimony of Jesus Christ and his work, his resurrection, and all of that, that it would actually, I think, be helpful to just think of this foundation of the apostles and prophets as really just scripture is the foundation. Scripture is the foundation. He continues, like a general contractor, the foundation first. Now, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, this is a, again, word picture, metaphor. Paul is saying Jesus is the cornerstone. Cornerstones today are different than they were then. We've come a long way in building buildings and architecture. I'll show you an example of today. Cornerstones are more ceremonial. It's more about what the meaning is and the beauty of it aesthetically. It's decorative. You see a skyscraper. This is the Freedom Tower in New York City built at the place of Ground Zero, right? And you see the unveiling of the cornerstone. And when you look at that picture, you know, you think you're like, I hope that cornerstone is not like holding up that building. Like we've probably advanced in our technology to where there'd be more holding up that building than that cornerstone. right? Okay? And that is right. But in the times of the Bible, and I'll show you an ancient cornerstone, the cornerstone was the first stone set in the construction of a foundation. And it was extremely important, not just sentimental, not just something that was decorative, not just something that had sort of spiritual meaning to it, but, or, you know, meaning tied to an event for people. No, this was crucial to the stability of the structure. Every other stone was set in reference to this stone. Let me repeat that. Every other stone. Is to be set in reference to the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the precious, pre made, indispensable blueprint guiding and advising, quality control ensuring, and first laid stone. Paul's saying Jesus is the cornerstone. It's all about Jesus. When we put our lives together without Jesus, we do it incorrectly. It's chaos without Jesus. The areas of our lives that we've built up without being in reference to Jesus need to be disassembled and reconfigured. Everything, every stone in the foundation must be in reference to the cornerstone, to Jesus. It's the most important part. Every stone you could say points to the cornerstone. We'll sing this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak, made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. That's not us singing to a merely decorative and symbolic cornerstone. Rather, that is us singing to the reference point of the whole structure, holding us together. What is the reference point of the life you've built or are building? Paul continues, again, speaking like a general contractor talks about the foundation, then the cornerstone, which is the most important part of the foundation. Now he's talking about the structure like an engineer in the joints. Look, in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into, watch this, he's going to start talking about the use, right? The, what, what is this structure rated for? For usage, he grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So here we see that Jesus joins us together. That's good news because everything else that we're trying to use to join us together is not working. Here we see that it is Jesus, this cornerstone, who grows us. That's also good news because we need to grow. And then we see what the use of the structure is going to be. And it's that it's a holy temple in the Lord. If you've ever driven by uh, construction, you know, where it's taking place, maybe you drive by at the very beginning and you see they're taking the trees down. Like, oh, I wonder what they're going to build there. Then you see that they clear it completely out, they level it out, they start putting the foundation in. You still don't know. You're like, yeah, maybe it's someone's big house. I don't know. Could be an office building. I don't know. You know, it's on your way to work or whatever. You're just checking it slowly, seeing what's happening. Eventually, Something happens and it clicks. Oh, okay. I know what that is now. I know what that's going to be. Maybe it's because they put the steeple and the cross on it or something, right? Like the idea is that's what's happening in verse 21. He's building the structure, the household, the foundation, the chief cornerstone, the joints, the structure. And then, oh, it's a temple, it's a place where God wills. To dwell on earth, we're not talking here about a physical building. Remember, this is just metaphorically speaking. We're talking about the people of God in Paul's writing to the Ephesian Christians to tell them they are very much a part of the people of God. The point is that Gentile Christians are one hundred percent full members the household of God. We're at home in God's house as citizens in his kingdom, as members in his household, and now three, as living stones in God's temple. Living stones in God's temple. Verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by God the Spirit. So kind of picking up on that last reveal at the end of the household of God point and saying, all right, yeah, let's develop that out further. The temple, the dwelling place of God. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ. We are living stones in God's temple. Citizens in his kingdom, members in his household, all because of the blood of Christ. Living stones being built together into a temple through which he is present. Not done with us. we, We are a building project according to this verse. And we're just stones. You can't even throw yourself into a river. You can't even start an avalanche by yourself. Temple stone doesn't just come to the temple on Sunday mornings and then leave and go to lunch, it's always there, always part of worship. Worship is the entire usage of the building of which the temple stones are permanently a part. Worship is a lifestyle the only fitting response to who God is and what he has done in giving us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Living stones in God's temple. We're no longer excluded. We're at home in God's house as citizens, as members, and as living stones. A couple of observations quickly on this point about being living stones. One, you know, in the New Testament, the temple is never a building. It's never a building. Jesus says that he's the temple. He's like, you tear down that temple, I'll raise it in three days. He's talking about himself in the three days until his resurrection. He is the meeting place between earth and heaven. He is the presence of God on earth. He's the temple. He says that. The New Testament also speaks of the gathered church as a temple. That's what we're seeing here in verse 22 that we built together are the presence of God in this place. People, it's never a building or a structure. It's so important that these Ephesian Christians understand this. They have been their whole life excluded from the temple in Jerusalem, famous as it was and built by Solomon. They now having you know, dedicated themselves to Jesus Christ are and severed their allegiance perhaps to the temple of Artemis, which was in Ephesus and was one of the wonders of the ancient world. They are templeless, but those temples do not matter because they're the temple that God is building the only true and real temple for the only true and real God. It says also in the New Testament that that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we individually have the presence of God in us when we're Christians. You know, another observation about us being living stones in God's temple would just be this word together. Do you see it in verse 22? In him, you also are being built together. What if he said this? What if he said, hey, Ephesians, Gentile Christians, in him, you are being built separately. Jerusalem separately from you, and you separately from them. Jewish Christians separately from you, and you separate from them. You are being built separately into separate dwelling places for God by the Spirit. What if he said that? Well, then that would more reflect our day, wouldn't it? The key word is together. Together. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I was thinking that what this means to me is that the church that bears God's presence most purely is the church striving for unity across lines where the world divides. Another observation from us being living stones in God's temple, because there's just so much here, and the last one I'll share with you is that God builds his church. We can just exhale, take a deep breath. You know what? All this stuff is not on your to do list, it's on God's to do list. Jesus said, I will build my church. Verse 22 says, In him you also are being built. He's the builder. We're just stones into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Isn't it encouraging that God is not done with you or with the church that you're part of? That's a great spot for an amen. Isn't it encouraging that God is not done growing you or growing the church that you're part of? Amen? Yeah. So we must just get out of the way and let God do His work of building His church in the way He wills. So in conclusion, you know, like when we look at the wrong things, we can feel very excluded. When we look at the wrong things, we can serve to make others feel excluded. But when we look at the cross, when we look in the mirror at how sinful we are, and when we look at the cross at how loving and gracious God is when we look at the church that Jesus desires to and promises to build according to Scripture, then, friends, we can know that if we are in Christ, we are at home in God's house. We're citizens in his kingdom, members in his household, living stones in the temple that he's building and through which he desires to show off his presence our lives, in our city, in our community. So let's close in prayer, and the worship team's going to come, and we're going to sing about Jesus being our cornerstone together. So if you'll bow with me.